That's on page 884 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 23, 32 to 38. I invite you all to stand, if you're able, out of respect for the reading of God's word. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. And saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Dear Lord, quiet our hearts and minds. Help us to pay attention to your word. And as we lean into it, help us to gather at the feet of the cross, as it were, and to be moved to greater depths of faith in the Savior. We pray this in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We've come to that moment that we've been waiting for for quite some time, the the moment of Christ's crucifixion on the cross. At that hill, that death-like place that must have you know, protruded from the ground so that it looked like a human skull. What a place for our Savior to be. What a a place for anyone to die, let alone this innocent Son of God. And that's the place where he's led along with two criminals, one on his right, one on his left. He's crucified in the middle It's amazing to me as we look at this text how simply Luke talks about the crucifixion. He says this, there they crucified him. And if you know anything about crucifixion, it is such a bloody and horrific form of torture that it must have been great reserve that led Luke to to say it so simply. He could have painted the most vivid image possible. But here he says, there they crucified him. Why does he do that? I think one of the reasons why Luke words the crucifixion so simply is because he wants us to see everything else going on. And he wants us to hear what's going on. So we don't get so fixated on the blood of our Savior and and the, the torture that's happening that we miss what it's all about. Do you know what it's all about? This week, 
as I leaned into what Luke does want us to focus on, I saw there is so much there. In fact, towards the end of the week, I I said, I am packing too much into this sermon. And so I had to scale back to focus us on this first word which Jesus says on the cross. The Gospels record seven sayings that come forth from the cross to explain what's happening there. But this first one, boy, it, it might be the one that I remember the most from my childhood as I heard about Jesus. It might be the one that shocks our world more than anything when they hear about it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I want us to see this morning the forgiveness that comes forth from the cross. First, I want us to see the cross of Christ displaying deep forgiveness. And and then we have to, before we leave this text and and go forth into the world, we, we have to linger on how this text shows us that the cross of Christ demands deep forgiveness from us. The cross displays deep forgiveness, and then the cross demands deep forgiveness. Look at the forgiveness that is displayed on the cross like nothing you've ever seen. This is the peak moment of pain for Jesus. You know, Luke Luke doesn't go into detail about this, but think of what it must have been to be nailed to a tree, to be postured, uh, your your legs twisted and, and tortured into this gruesome form on the cross and this is the moment in which all of the weight of Jesus's body drags down against the nails in his hands in his feet and sends pain screaming through his severed nerves and it's at that very moment that he looks down and there's a circus happening at his feet it's the same circus that we hear about in Psalm 22 did you did you did you catch the prophecy being fulfilled here It is a peak moment of pain for the psalmist as, you know, he talks about being cornered like a wild animal and enemies encircling him and torturing and taunting him in the most cruel way possible. And this is the peak moment of pain for Jesus and the peak moment of cruelty from his enemies as they have this circus at the feet of the cross and Jesus is the main event. They sandwich him between two criminals. They mock him. Save yourself if you are the chosen one, the son of God. And you know what's so hard about this mockery is everything that they taunt Jesus with is actually true, right? Save yourself. That's what Jesus is doing. He's he's the savior. They call him the king of the Jews and he is, he's the king. Earlier they taunted him prophesy who hit you and Jesus is the prophet he's the priest he's the king all of these things and yet they take these titles and they twist them and they mock him and then they strip off his clothes and they play games for his bloody garments just like we heard in Psalm 22 and they offer him a drink a kind of royal cocktail for a king but it's so sour wine this this should make us sick to hear this being done to any human being let alone the God-man, the, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's at this moment of peak pain and peak cruelty that Jesus looks down from the cross and he sees these people torturing him. He says, Father, 
forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, I've never been able to wrap my mind around this. How this kind of mercy is possible. I've never been able to really get it in my brain. I thank God for it. I acknowledge it. But this is something that it's like nothing we've ever known. That when murderers cry out, crucify, crucify, Jesus counters each one of those with forgive, forgive. And remember what forgiveness means. It means to let go, to leave behind an offense, to open the door to reconciliation. Jesus is actually, you know, he's not passive in this. He's not letting these people be forgiven. He's actually pleading actively that they would. That's the kind of pity with which he sees his enemies on the cross. Father, don't hold this against them. Father, open the door for them to be reconciled to you. Forgive them. And in this word, we see that the cross is all about forgiveness Deep forgiveness. You know, it's not a coincidence that this is the first thing that Jesus says when he's on the cross. Father, forgive. You know, his words, everything that Jesus says on the cross, you need need to have an open ear towards and to really pay attention to them. Because what they're doing is Jesus's words are interpreting his actions. They're showing exactly what he's all about and what his motives are and what he's doing. What is he doing on the cross? What's it all about? Forgiveness and costly forgiveness at that. I I think you've come to see this at this point that there is no such thing as just letting go when someone's hurt, when someone has hurt you, right? Maybe you've heard this uh, from a parent or from someone. Just let it go. Just let it go as if it's something easy, right? Just let it roll off your your shoulders. And um, I, I get the saying, but we need to acknowledge There is nothing easy about forgiveness. Someone has to pay. Some sacrifice has to occur when we've been hurt. I'll go on to talk more about that in in a bit here. But at the very least, it it occurs, it it requires some sort of um, giving up of of the bitterness and the resentment that we want to hold on to. You have to let that go. And there's a principle with forgiveness, and it's, it's this. The greater the offense the greater the the sacrifice it is. The greater the sacrifice it requires to actually forgive. Forgiving someone for mean words might be hard. Those words hurt. But I, I forgive you. But forgiving someone for stealing your identity, ruining your life, draining your bank account, you can't get that back, you know, then, then that really ups the ante, doesn't it? That really hurts. Requires great sacrifice to forgive someone who's, who's thought so little about you, who's thrown your reputation and your person to the wind. And friends, when we're talking about an offense against a holy God, the king of the universe... 
What's the cost of being forgiven for rebelling against him? What's the cost of returning to life in God's kingdom after sinners have launched a full stage rebellion against God, made themselves the center of the universe? Now that, that's costly. There's no just forgetting that, just letting go. There's no God just turning his eye in the opposite direction and forgetting that that happened. No, against a holy God who forgets nothing, who is an all-consuming fire, as we read in our text, costly forgiveness is required. Indeed, the cost is this, the precious life of the Son of God. And so we see this, that as soon as Jesus begins to bleed, that same Savior begins to intercede. That's what this is all about. Why is Jesus bleeding on the cross? Why is this pain searing through him? So that through his costly sacrifice, the Father, God himself, might forgive rebels who have put that Savior on the cross. As soon as the Savior begins to bleed, that same Savior, the bleeding sacrifice starts to intercede. And friends, that is good news for you. Good news for me. Because who is this prayer on the cross for? Different commentators have wrestled over this. Is Jesus praying forgiveness for the soldiers? You know, they seem to just be following orders. Um, maybe, Maybe that's why he says, they don't know what they do. Is he, is he praying for the rulers that have staged that kangaroo court and put him on the cross? The answer is yes, but, but notice, notice something beautiful about this. Jesus is full of forgiveness for the very men who murdered him. But do you know what that means? That no sinner is beyond the reach of his mercy. In fact, look at the beautiful vagueness of this prayer. This is something that the great preacher Charles Spurgeon really focused in on, is that there is a vagueness to this prayer. Father, forgive them. Who? Who's the them? Well, certainly the ones at the foot of the cross, but if that forgiveness is for them, could it not reach to any sinner who needs his forgiveness? Yes. In fact, Spurgeon said this. He said, now into that little pronoun, them, I feel that I can crawl by humble faith. Isn't that beautiful? Father, forgive them. And you say, that little word, them, is something that I, through faith, can crouch down into and crawl into and can become me. I am the them for whom Christ cried forgiveness. I am the them. I'm amongst the ones who put Jesus on the cross. And so the king, the one who really is king of the Jews, though they taunt him, what does he do? His first word on the cross is a royal pardon. The kind of pardon that only a king can give as he holds his hand above those that have rebelled against his kingdom and say, cleared of all charges, forgiven. Have you received that royal pardon? 
Have you crawled into those little words? Have you heard the mercy of God speak to you when Jesus cries out on the cross, Father, forgive them. You say, have you said yet? That's for me. And have you asked then for the forgiveness for the sins that you know you've committed and even those that you have been ignorant of? All of those things need forgiven. Have you cried out, Jesus, pardon me. Hold your hand over me. Forgive me. Though I crucify you, forgive me. That's the shocking beauty of this passage. I remember walking with my dog, Sadie, uh, in the woods when I was maybe 10 years old. And and I opened my Bible, sitting down on a tree, tree trunk, and I read of a Savior who cries out for forgiveness for people that tortured him. And it dawned on me that if he pardoned them, then he must pardon me. The cross displays deep forgiveness, friends. A God who lets go of the offenses of sinners, but How does he do this? Not just by turning a blind eye, but by punishing his willing son. And because of this deep forgiveness, the cross not only displays forgiveness, but it demands forgiveness from us. When Jesus cries out on the cross, Father, forgive them. He's actually... Applying his own words in Luke chapter six, verses 27 through 28, we hear this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Isn't Jesus just applying those words? Living out consistent, consistently as a preacher on the cross. And doesn't this mean that we must forgive too, as Jesus has called us to? To ask this question, do do I have to forgive people who have hurt me? Do I have to open a path for reconciliation with the very people who have slammed the door in my face? The answer is yes to all the above. Yes. Now, I want you to hear this. Make no mistake that the cross does not just tell you to let offenses roll over your shoulder, roll off your shoulder. The cross does not say that forgiveness is easy. In fact, what the cross is is affirming to you, you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking about the people that are so hard to forgive. You know what the cross says? It says, yes, it is awfully hard. Yes, forgiveness is Maybe the hardest thing you'll ever be asked to do. Forgiveness is hard. It's costly. And why? Why why is forgiveness so hard? We've started to, to mention this already. It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of our, our resentment and our bitterness 
and our frustration towards another person. And, and that's because our resentment is sometimes the one thing that we have over another person, right? It's like the one thing we can hold on to. So kids, when you know, um, your, your, your brother or sister calls you awful things and slams the door in your face, and then mom or dad brings them to you and says, tells them, and tells them to apologize, and they do, and then they ask you, are, are you ready to forgive your brother or sister? What, what do you feel in you? What do you want to say? I want to say, no, I don't forgive you because that would mean that I have to give you something, right? Forgiveness is hard. Kids, you know what I'm talking about. Forgiveness is our control over another person um, or our, our lack of forgiving them actually says, I'm going to hold on to this resentment because you can't get to it. The one thing you can't get to is, is, is my hatred of you in my heart. And I'm going to hold on to that. It's the one thing I've got over you. It's hard to give something to someone who has robbed you. It takes a great deal of sacrifice. Natalie and I were watching, um, Natalie and I were watching uh, Forensic Files the other day. These stories of real life murders at the end of one tragic episode in which a mother was had had her daughter tragically taken from her from another human being. Did unspeakable things. She was asked by someone, do you forgive? Do you forgive the man who's now on, on death row? And she said, No, absolutely not. I do not forgive him. I can't, as long as he lives. It's the only thing I have against him. If I could get my hands on him, you know what I'd do. But I can't do that, so I'm not going to forgive him. When I was in marriage counseling with Natalie, we were told that we, we ought to stop saying to each other all the time, I'm sorry. Instead, we ought to ask one another when we'd sinned against each other, will you forgive me? In fact, it's really good advice. I want to pass that on to, to our couples, those who are about to get married. When you've been offended by your spouse, it's, it's easy to say, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Sometimes that's easy. You know what's 10 times harder? To actually put yourself in that vulnerable position when you, when you ask your spouse, will you forgive me? You know what's even harder? Being on the other side and, and saying, yes, yes, I do. Yes, I forgive you. Brutally hard. And friends, we live in a society where forgiveness is going out of fashion, where victimhood is a virtue and cancel culture has many enemies, but few friends and little grace. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, I read an article this week that said that fewer people know how to forgive as 
as you look at Britain and America and as as church attendance declines and you see less people learning forgiveness from Christ and actually looking to him as a living example, um, guess what starts to happen? Forgiveness starts to see be seen as a weakness. To actually extend forgiveness to someone would mean that you start to start, you start to take steps beyond victimhood, and you extend something to someone that you want to hold on to. Well, friends, how do we learn to give the forgiveness that the cross demands? The cross is the answer. Christ's cross is both the method of forgiveness and the motivation. We've been talking about all those ways that forgiveness is so hard, right? It's brutally hard. You say, how do I forgive? Well, how Jesus forgave on the cross. When you're looking at your enemy and everything in you wants to call down vengeance upon them. And hold on to that bitterness and resentment and, and, and everything in you wants to do that. The gospel says, don't, you must forgive. And you say, well, how can I do that? I don't want to do that. You have to understand that Christ forgave you. That's your motivation. Ephesians 4.32 simply says this. Ephesians 4.32 be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You have been extended a royal pardon, a royal pardon. And it was not easy for Christ on the cross. In fact, perhaps it was one of the hardest things that Christ ever said, Father, forgive my enemies. And now he calls you to extend that royal pardon to those that sin against you. Amber Geiger was a former uh, Dallas police officer. And she had just received a sentence of 10 years for killing a young man named Botham Jean in his home. And just as that sentence was delivered by the judge, there was an outcry both within the court and outside of it. Some people cried because they, they, they felt that this sentence was too lenient. And other people cried because they thought it wasn't lenient enough. And there was much talk and much bitterness and much frustration with, with this woman, Amber, that she had um, received this sentence. And then came forth the victim's brother, Brant Jean. He said, he looked Amber in the eyes and he said, I forgive you. I love you. I miss my brother so much. But I don't wish you any harm. Instead, Amber, I want you to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he asked the judge permission to hug her. And to give her a gift, a Bible. And he opened to John 3.16 and he said, Amber, this is where you have to start, right here. 
He learned that from the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.